Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash support for more information. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Tonight, I will be reading The Kidnapped Santa Claus by L. Frank Baum. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. Santa Claus lives in the Laughing Valley, 
where stands the big rambling castle in which his toys are manufactured. His workmen, selected from the rills, nooks, pixies and fairies, live with him, and everyone is as busy as can be from one year's end to another. It is called the Laughing Valley because everything there is happy and gay. The brook chuckles to itself as it leaps, rollicking between its green banks. The wind whistles merrily in the trees. The sunbeams dance lightly over the soft grass, and the violets and wildflowers look smilingly up from their green nests. To laugh, one needs to be happy. To be happy, one needs to be content. And throughout the laughing valley of Santa Claus, contentment reigns supreme. On one side is the mighty forest of Bursey. At the other side stands the huge mountain that contains the caves of the demons. And between them, the valley lies smiling and peaceful. One would think that our good old Santa Claus, who devotes his days to making children happy, would have no enemies on all the earth. And as a matter of fact, for a long time, he encountered nothing but love wherever he might go. But the demons who live in the mountain caves grew to hate Santa Claus very much. And all for the very simple reason that he made children happy. The caves of the demons are five in number. A broad pathway leads up to the first cave, which is a finely arched cavern at the foot of the mountain, the entrance being beautifully carved and decorated. In it resides the demon of selfishness. Back of this is another cavern inhabited by the demon of envy. And the cave of the demon of hatred is next in order. And through this one passes to the home of the demon of malice, situated in a dark and fearful cave in the very heart of the mountain. I do not know what lies beyond this. Some say there are terrible pitfalls leading to death and destruction. And this may very well be true. However, from each one of the four caves mentioned, there is a small, narrow tunnel leading to the fifth cave, a cozy little room occupied by the demon of repentance. And as the rocky floors of these passages are well worn by the track of passing feet, I judge that many wanderers in the caves of the demons have escaped through the tunnels to the abode of the demon of repentance, who is said to be a pleasant sort of fellow who gladly opens for one a little door, admitting you into fresh air and sunshine again. Well, these demons of the caves, thinking they had great cause to dislike old Santa Claus, held a meeting one day to discuss the matter. I'm getting really lonesome, said the demon of selfishness, for Santa Claus distributes so many pretty gifts to all the children that they become happy and generous through his example and keep away from my cave. I'm having the same trouble, rejoined the demon of envy. The little ones seem quite content with Santa Claus, and there are a few indeed that I can coax to become envious. And that makes it bad for me, declared the demon of hatred, for if no children pass through the caves of selfishness and envy, none can get to my cavern. Or to mine, added the demon of malice. For my part, said the demon of repentance, it is easily seen that if children do not visit your caves, they have no need to visit mine. 
so that I am quite as neglected as you are. And all because of this person they call Santa Claus, exclaimed the demon of envy. He is simply ruining our business, and something must be done at once. To this they readily agreed, but what to do was another and more difficult matter to settle. They knew that Santa Claus worked all through the year at his castle in the Laughing Valley, preparing the gifts he was to distribute on Christmas Eve. And at first they resolved to try to tempt him into their caves, that they might lead him on to the terrible pitfalls that ended in destruction. So the very next day, while Santa Claus was busily at work, surrounded by his little band of assistants, the demon of selfishness came to him and said, These toys are wonderfully bright and pretty. Why do you not keep them for yourself? It's a pity to give them to those noisy boys and fretful girls who break and destroy them so quickly. Nonsense, cried the old greybeard, his bright eyes twinkling merrily as he turned toward the tempting demon. The boys and girls are never so noisy and fretful after receiving my gifts, and if I can make them happy for one day in the year, I'm quite content. So the demon went back to the others, who awaited him in their caves, and said, I have failed, for Santa Claus is not at all selfish. The following day, the demon of envy visited Santa Claus. Said he, The toy shops are full of playthings quite as pretty as those you are making. What a shame it is that they should interfere with your business. They make toys by machinery much quicker than you can make by hand, and they sell them for money while you get nothing at all for your work. But Santa Claus refused to be envious of the toy shops. I can supply the little ones but once a year on Christmas Eve, he answered, for the children are many and I am but one. And as my work is one of love and kindness, I would be ashamed to receive money for my little gifts. But throughout all the year, the children must be amused in some way. And so the toy shops are able to bring much happiness to my little friends. I like the toy shops, and I'm glad to see them prosper. In spite of the second rebuff, the demon of hatred thought he would try to influence Santa Claus. So the next day he entered the busy workshop and said, Good morning, Santa. I have bad news for you. Then run away like a good fellow, answered Santa Claus. Bad news is something that should be kept secret and never told. You cannot escape this, however, declared the demon. For in the world are a good many who do not believe in Santa Claus, and these you are bound to hate bitterly, since they have so wronged you. Stuff and rubbish, cried Santa. And there are others who resent your making children happy, and who sneer at you and called you a foolish old rattlepate. You're quite right to hate such base slanderers. And you ought to be revenged upon them for their evil words. But I don't hate them, exclaimed Santa Claus positively. Such people do me no real harm, but merely render themselves and their children unhappy. Poor things. I'd much rather help them any day than injure them. Indeed. The demons could not tempt old Santa Claus in any way. On the contrary, he was shrewd enough to see that their object in visiting him was to make mischief and trouble, and his cheery laughter disconcerted the evil ones and showed to them the folly of such an undertaking. So they abandoned honeyed words and determined to use force. It is well known that no harm can come to Santa Claus while he is in the Laughing Valley, 
for the fairies and rills and nooks all protect him. But on Christmas Eve, he drives his reindeer out into the big world, carrying a sleigh load of toys and pretty gifts to the children. And this was the time and the occasion when his enemies had the best chance to injure him. So the demons laid their plans and awaited the arrival of Christmas Eve. The moon shone big and white in the sky, and the snow lay crisp and sparkling on the ground as Santa Claus cracked his whip and sped away out of the valley into the great world beyond. The roomy sleigh was packed full with huge sacks of toys, and as the reindeer dashed onward, our jolly old Santa laughed and whistled and sang for very joy. For in all his merry life, this was the one day in the year when he was happiest, the day he lovingly bestowed the treasures of his workshop upon the little children. It would be a busy night for him, he well knew. As he whistled and shouted and cracked his whip again, he reviewed in mind all the towns and cities and farmhouses where he was expected and figured that he had just enough presents to go around and make every child happy. The reindeer knew exactly what was expected of them and dashed along so swiftly that their feet scarcely seemed to touch the snow-covered ground. Suddenly, a strange thing happened. A rope shot through the moonlight, and a big noose that was in the end of it settled over the arms and body of Santa Claus and drew tight. Before he could resist or even cry out, he was jerked from the seat of the sleigh and tumbled head foremost into a snowbank, while the reindeer rushed onward with a load of toys and carried it quickly out of sight and sound. Such a surprising experience confused old Santa for a moment. And when he had collected his senses, he found that the wicked demons had pulled him from the snowdrift and bound him tightly with many coils of the stout rope. And then they carried the kidnapped Santa Claus away to their mountain, where they thrust the prisoner into a secret cave and chained him to the rocky wall so that he could not escape. Ha ha, laughed the demons, rubbing their hands together with cruel glee. What will the children do now? How they will cry and scold and storm when they find there are no toys in their stockings and no gifts on their Christmas trees. And what a lot of punishment they will receive from their parents and how they will flock to our caves of selfishness and envy and hatred and malice. We have done a mighty clever thing, we demons of the caves. Now it so chanced that on this Christmas Eve, the good Santa Claus had taken with him in his sleigh, Neuter the Rill, Peter the Nook, Kilter the Pixie, and a small fairy named Whisk, his four favourite assistants. These little people he had often found very useful in helping him to distribute his gifts to the children, and when their master was so suddenly dragged from the sleigh, they were all snugly tucked underneath a seat where the sharp wind could not reach them. The tiny immortals knew nothing of the capture of Santa Claus until some time after he had disappeared. But finally they missed his cheery voice, and as their master always sang or whistled on his journeys, the silence warned them that something was wrong. Little Whisk stuck out his head from underneath the seat and found Santa Claus was gone, and no one to direct the flight of the reindeer. Whoa, he called out, and the deer obediently slackened speed and came to a halt. Peter and Neuter and Kilter all jumped upon the seat and looked back over the track made by the sleigh. 
but Santa Claus had been left miles and miles behind. What shall we do? asked Whisk, anxiously, all the mirth and mischief banished from his wee face by this great calamity. We must go back at once and find our master, said Neuter the Rill, who thought and spoke with much deliberation. No, no, exclaimed Peter the Nook, who crossed and crabbed, though he was, I'd always be depended on, in an emergency. If we delay or go back, there will not be time to get the toys to the children before morning, and that would grieve Santa Claus more than anything else. It is certain that some wicked creatures have captured him, added Kilter thoughtfully, and their object must be to make the children unhappy. So our first duty is to get the toys distributed as carefully as if Santa Claus were himself present. Afterward, we can search for our master and easily secure his freedom. This seems such good and sensible advice that the others at once resolved to adopt it. So Peter the Nook called to the reindeer, and the faithful animals again sprang forward and dashed over hill and valley, through forest and plain, until they came to the houses wherein children lay sleeping and dreaming of the pretty gifts they would find on Christmas morning. The little mortals had set themselves a difficult task, for although they had assisted Santa Claus on many of his journeys, their master had always directed and guided them and told them exactly what he wished them to do. But now they had to distribute the toys according to their own judgment, and they did not understand children as well as old Santa. So it is no wonder they made some laughable errors. Marnie Brown, who wanted a doll, got a drum instead, and a drum is of no use to a girl who loves dolls. And Charlie Smith, who delights to romp and play out of doors, and who wanted some new rubber boots to keep his feet dry, received a sewing box filled with coloured worsteds and threads and needles, which made him so provoked that he thoughtlessly called our dear Santa Claus a fraud. Had there been many such mistakes, the demons would have accomplished their evil purpose and made the children unhappy. But the little friends of the absent Santa Claus laboured faithfully and intelligently to carry out their master's ideas. And they made fewer errors than might be expected under such unusual circumstances. And although they worked as swiftly as possible, day had begun to break before the toys and other presents were all distributed. So for the first time in many years, the reindeer trotted into the Laughing Valley on their return in broad daylight, with a brilliant sun peeping over the edge of the forest to prove they were far behind their accustomed hours. Having put the deer in the stable, the little folk began to wonder how they might rescue their master, and they realized they must first discover what had happened to him and where he was. So Whisk the fairy transported himself to the bower of the fairy queen, which was located deep in the forest of Bursey. And once there, it did not take him long to find out all about the naughty demons and how they kidnapped the good old Santa Claus to prevent his making children happy. The fairy queen also promised her assistance, and then, fortified by this powerful support, Whisk flew back to where Neuter and Peter and Kilter awaited him, and the four counseled together and laid plans to rescue their master from his enemies. It is possible that Santa Claus was not as merry as usual during the night that succeeded his capture. For although he had faith in the judgment of his little friends, he could not avoid a certain amount of worry 
and an anxious look would creep at times into his kind old eyes as he thought of the disappointment that might await his dear little children. And the demons who guarded him by turns, one after another, did not neglect to taunt him with contemptuous words in his helpless condition. When Christmas Day dawned, the demon of malice was guarding the prisoner, and his tongue was sharper than that of any other's. The children are waking up, Santa, he cried. They're waking up to find their stockings empty. How they will quarrel and wail and stamp their feet in anger. Our caves will be full today, old Santa. Our caves are sure to be full. But to this, as to other like taunts, Santa Claus answered nothing. He was much grieved by his capture, it is true. But his courage did not forsake him. And finding that the prisoner would not reply to his jeers, the demon of malice presently went away and sent the demon of repentance to take his place. This last personage was not so disagreeable as the others. He had gentle and refined features and his voice was soft and pleasant in tone. My brother demons do not trust me overmuch, said he as he entered the cavern. But it is morning now and the mischief is done. You cannot visit the children again for another year. That is true answered Santa Claus, almost cheerfully. Christmas Eve has passed, and for the first time in centuries I have not visited my children. The little ones will be greatly disappointed, murmured the demon of repentance, almost regretfully, but that cannot be helped now. Their grief is likely to make the children selfish and envious and hateful, and if they come to the caves of the demons today, I shall get a chance to lead some of them to my cave of repentance. Do you never repent yourself? asked Santa Claus, curiously. Oh, yes, indeed, answered the demon. I am even now repenting that I assisted in your capture. Of course, it is too late to remedy the evil that has been done, but repentance, you know, can come only after an evil thought or deed, for in the beginning there is nothing to repent of. So I understand, said Santa Claus. Those who avoid evil need never visit your cave. As a rule, that is true, replied the demon. Yet you, who have done no evil, are about to visit my cave at once. For to prove that I sincerely regret my share in your capture, I am going to permit you to escape. This speech greatly surprised the prisoner, until he reflected that it was just what might be expected of the demon of repentance. The fellow at once busied himself untying the knots that bound Santa Claus and unlocking the chains that fastened him to the wall. Then he led the way through a long tunnel until they both emerged in the cave of repentance. I hope you will forgive me, said the demon pleadingly. I'm not really a bad person, you know, and I believe I accomplished a great deal of good in the world. With this, he opened a back door that let in a flood of sunshine, and Santa Claus sniffed the fresh air gratefully. I bear no malice, said he to the demon in a gentle voice, and I'm sure the world would be a dreary place without you. So good morning, and a Merry Christmas to you. With these words, he stepped out to greet the bright morning, and a moment later he was trudging along, whistling to himself, on his way to his home in the Laughing Valley. Marching over the snow toward the mountain was a vast army, made up of the most curious creatures imaginable. There were numberless nooks from the forest, as rough and crooked in appearance as the gnarled branches of the trees they ministered to. And there were dainty rills from the fields, each one bearing the emblem of the flower or plant it guarded. 
Behind these were many ranks of pixies, gnomes, and nymphs, and in the rear, a thousand beautiful fairies floated along in gorgeous array. This wonderful army was led by Whisk, Peter, Neuter, and Kilter, who had assembled it to rescue Santa Claus from captivity and to punish the demons who had dared to take him away from his beloved children. And although they looked so bright and peaceful, the little immortals were armed with powers that would be very terrible to those who had incurred their anger. Woe to the demons of the caves if this mighty army of vengeance ever met them. But lo, coming to meet his loyal friends appeared the imposing form of Santa Claus, his white beard floating in the breeze, and his bright eyes sparkling with pleasure this proof of the love and veneration he had inspired in the hearts of the most powerful creatures in existence. And while they clustered around him and danced with glee at his safe return, he gave them earnest thanks for their support. But Whisk and Neuter and Peter and Kilter he embraced affectionately. It is useless to pursue the demons, said Santa Claus to the army. They have their place in the world and can never be destroyed. But that is a great pity, nevertheless, he continued musingly. So the fairies and nooks and pixies and rills all escorted the good man to his castle, and there left him to talk over the events of the night with his little assistants. Whisk had already rendered himself invisible and flown through the big world to see how the children were getting along on this bright Christmas morning. And by the time he returned, Peter had finished telling Santa Claus of how they had distributed the toys. We really did very well, cried the fairy in a pleased voice, for I found little unhappiness among the children this morning. Still, you must not get captured again, my dear master, for we might not be so fortunate another time in carrying out your ideas. He then related the mistakes that had been made and which he had not discovered until his tour of inspection. And Santa Claus at once sent him with rubber boots for Charlie Smith and a doll for Marnie Brown, so that even those two disappointed ones became happy. As for the wicked demons of the caves, they were filled with anger and chagrin. When they found that their clever capture of Santa Claus had come to naught, indeed, no one on that Christmas day appeared to be selfish at all, or envious, or hateful. And realizing that while the children's saint had so many powerful friends, it was folly to oppose him. The demons never again attempted to interfere with his journeys on Christmas Eve. Little Girl's Christmas by Winifred E. Lincoln It was Christmas Eve and Little Girl had just hung up her stocking by the fireplace, right where it would be, all ready for Santa when he slipped down the chimney. She knew he was coming because, well, because it was Christmas Eve, and because he always had come to leave gifts for her on all the other Christmas Eves that she could remember, and because she had seen his pictures everywhere downtown that afternoon when she was out with her mother. Still, she wasn't just satisfied. Way down in her heart, she was a little uncertain. You see, when you have never really and truly seen a person with your very own eyes, it's hard to feel as if you exactly believed in him, even though that person always has left beautiful gifts for you every time he has come. Oh, he'll come, said little girl. I just know he will be here before morning. But somehow I wish, 
Well, what do you wish? said a tiny voice close by her, so close that a little girl fairly jumped when she heard it. Why, I wish I could see Santa myself. I'd just like to go and see his house and his workshop and ride in his sleigh and know Mrs. Santa. It would be so much fun, and then I'd know for sure. Why don't you go then, said Tiny Voice. It's easy enough. Just try on these shoes and take this light in your hand and you'll find your way all right. So little girl looked down on the hearth, and there were two cunning little shoes side by side, and a little spark of a light close to them, just as if they were all made out of one of the glowing coals of the wood fire. Such cunning shoes as they were, little girl could hardly wait to pull off her slippers and try them on. They looked as if they were too small, but they weren't. They fitted exactly right. And just as little girl had put them on and taken the light in her hand, along came a little breath of wind, and away she went up the chimney, along with ever so many other little sparks, past the suit fairies and out into the open air, where Jack Frost and the starbeams were all busy at work making the world pretty for Christmas. Away went little girl, two shoes, bright light and all, higher and higher until she looked like a wee bit of a star up in the sky. It was the funniest thing, but she seemed to know the way perfectly and didn't have to stop to make inquiries anywhere. You see, it was a straight road all the way, and when one doesn't have to think about turning to the right or to the left, it makes things very much easier. Pretty soon, little girl noticed that there was a bright light all around her, a very bright light and right away something down in her heart began to make her feel very happy indeed. She didn't know that the Christmas spirits and the little Christmas fairies were all around her, and even right inside her, because she couldn't see a single one of them, even though her eyes were very bright and could usually see a great deal. But that was just it, and little girl felt as if she wanted to laugh and sing and be glad. It made her remember the sick boy who lived next door, and she said to herself that she would carry him one of her prettiest picture books in the morning so that he could have something to make him happy all day. By and by, when the bright light all around her had grown very, very much brighter, little girl saw a path right in front of her, all straight and trim, leading up a hill to a big, big house with ever and ever so many windows in it. When she had gone just a bit nearer, she saw candles in every window, red and green and yellow ones, and every one burning brightly. So little girl knew right away that these were Christmas candles to light her on her journey and make the way dear for her. And something told her that this was Santa's house and that pretty soon she would perhaps see Santa himself. Just as she neared the steps and before she could possibly have had time to ring the bell, the door opened, opened of itself as wide as it could be, And there stood, not Santa himself, don't think it, but a funny little man with slender little legs and a roly-poly stomach which shook every now and then when he laughed. You would have known right away, just as the little girl knew, that he was a very happy little man, and you would have guessed right away too that the reason he was so roly-poly was because he laughed and chuckled and smiled all the time, for it's only sour cross folks who are thin and skimpy. Quick as a wink, he pulled off his little peaked red cap, 
smiled the broadest kind of smile and said, Merry Christmas, come in. So in went little girl, holding fast to little man's hand. And when she was really inside, there was the jolliest, reddest fire, all glowing and snapping. And there were a little man and all his brothers and sisters, who said their names were Merry Christmas and Good Cheer, and ever so many other jolly-sounding things. And there were such a lot of them that little girl just knew she never could count them, no matter how long she tried. All around her were bundles and boxes and piles of toys and games, and the little girl knew that these were all ready and waiting to be loaded into Santa's big sleigh for his reindeer to whirl them away over cloud tops and snowdrifts to the little people down below who'd left their stockings already for him. Pretty soon, all the little good cheer brothers began to hurry and bustle and carry out the bundles as fast as they could to the steps where little girl could hear the jingling bells and the stamping of hoofs. So little girl picked up some bundles and skipped along too, for she wanted to help a bit herself. It's no fun whatever at Christmas unless you can help, you know. And there in the yard stood the biggest sleigh that little girl had ever seen. And the reindeer were all stamping and prancing and jingling their bells on their harnesses, because they were so eager to be on their way to the earth once more. She could hardly wait for Santa to come. And just as she began to wonder where he was, the door opened again, and out came a whole forest of Christmas trees. At least it looked just as if a whole forest had started out for a walk somewhere. But a second glance showed little girl that there were thousands of Christmas sprites, and that each one carried a tree or big Christmas wreath on his back. Behind them all, she could hear someone laughing loudly and talking in a big, jovial voice that sounded as if he were good friends with the whole world. And straight away, she knew that Santa himself was coming. Little girl's heart went pit-a-pat for a minute, while she wondered if Santa would notice her. But she didn't have to wonder long, for he spied her at once and said, Bless my soul, who's this? Where did you come from? Little girl thought perhaps she might be afraid to answer him, but she wasn't one bit afraid. You see, he had such a kind little twinkle in his eyes that she felt happy right away as she replied, Oh, I'm little girl, and I wanted so much to see Santa that I just came, and here I am. Ho, 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 laughed Santa, and here you are. Wanted to see Santa, did you? And so you came. Now that's very nice and it's too bad I'm in such a hurry, for we should like nothing better than to show you about and give you a real good time. But you see, it is a quarter of twelve now, and I must be on my way at once, else I'll never reach that first chimney top by midnight. I'd call Mrs. Santa and ask her to get you some supper, but she's busy finishing doll's clothes, which must be done before morning, and I guess we'd better not bother her. Is there anything that you would like, little girl? And good old Santa put his big, warm hand on little girl's curls, and she felt its warmth and kindness clear down to her very heart. You see, my dears, that even though Santa was in such a great hurry, he wasn't too busy to stop and make someone happy for a minute, even if it was someone no bigger than little girl. So she smiled back into Santa's face and said, Oh, Santa, if I could only ride down to earth with you behind these splendid reindeer, I'd love to go. Won't you please take me? I'm so small that I won't take up much room on the seat, and I'll keep very still and not bother one bit. Then Santa laughed, such a laugh, 
big and loud and rollicking, and he said, Once a ride, does she? Well, well, shall we take her, little elves? Shall we take her, little fairies? Shall we take her, good reindeer? And all the little elves hopped and skipped and brought little girl a sprig of holly. And all the little fairies bowed and smiled and brought her a bit of mistletoe. And all the good reindeer jingled their bells loudly, which meant, Oh yes, let's take her. She's a good little girl. Let her ride. And before little girl could even think, she found herself all tucked up in the big fur robes beside Santa. And away they went, right out into the air, over the clouds, through the Milky Way, and right under the very handle of the Big Dipper, on, on, toward the Earthland, whose lights little girl began to see twinkling away down below her. Presently, she felt the runners scrape upon something, and she knew that they must be on someone's roof, and that Santa would slip down someone's chimney in a minute. How she wanted to go to. You see, if you had never been down a chimney and seen Santa fill up the stockings, you'd want to go as much as little girl did now wouldn't you? So just as little girl was wishing as hard as ever she could wish, she heard a tiny voice say, hold tight to his arm, hold tight to his arm. So she held Santa's arm tight and close, and he shouldered his pack, never thinking that it was heavier than usual. And with a bound and a slide, there they were, Santa, little girl, pack and all, right in the middle of a room where there was a fireplace and stockings all hung up for Santa to fill. Just then, Santa noticed little girl. He had forgotten all about her for a minute. He was very surprised to find that she had come too. Bless my soul, he said. Where did you come from, little girl? And how in the world can we both get back up that chimney again? It's easy enough to slide down, but it's quite another matter to climb up again. And Santa looked real worried. The little girl was beginning to feel very tired by this time, for she had had a very exciting evening. So she said, Oh, never mind me, Santa. I've had such a good time, and I'd just soon as stay here a little while as not. I believe I'll curl up on this hearth rug a few minutes and have a little nap, for it looks as warm and cosy as our own hearth rug at home. And why, it is our own hearth, and it's my own nursery, for there is Teddy Bear in his chair, where I leave him every night, and there's Bunny Cat curled up on his cushion in the corner. And the little girl turned to thank Santa and say goodbye to him. But either he had gone very quickly, or else she had fallen asleep very quickly. She never could tell which. For the next thing she knew, Daddy was holding her in his arms and was saying, What is my little girl doing here? She must go to bed for it's Christmas Eve, and old Santa won't come if he thinks there are any little folks about. The little girl knew better than that. And when she began to tell him all about it, and how the Christmas fairies had welcomed her, and how Santa had given her such a fine ride. Daddy laughed and laughed and said, You've been dreaming, little girl. You've been dreaming. But little girl knew better than that too, for there on the hearth was a little black coal, which had given her two shoes and a bright light. And tight in her hand she held a holly berry, which one of the Christmas sprites had placed there. More than all that, there she was on the hearth rug herself, just as Santa had left her, and that was the best proof of all. The trouble was, Daddy himself had never been a little girl, so he couldn't tell anything about it. But we know she hadn't been dreaming now, don't we, my dears? Good night.